Today we're going to move into part six of our series on 40 days in the word. And you know, we've been spending 40 days in the word because we really believe that when you really begin to learn God's word better, it changes your life. And when you get into God's word more, you begin to love it because you see how God is taking it and using it to change your life. And so when you learn it, you begin to love it, and then you can take it, and by God's power, he can help you live it. And so we're spending these 40 days in his word, trying to immerse ourselves more in his word, because we know that being in God's word is the thing that changes us. Amen? Amen. You know, we can see something bad in our life that needs to change, something we're convicted about, and we can try and try and try to change it. We might be doing a little bit better for a while, but it's until God's word gets in your life and you let that take root in your life, that's what changes you. And that's what changes you forever. It's the powerful word of God that God says is sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? You guys, I thought you'd be more awake than the first crowd. Amen? (laughs) It's sharper than a two-edged sword, so we can do a work in our life when nothing else can. So today I want us to look at what I think is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible, where Jesus gets extremely personal with his disciples. In this passage, in John chapter 15, you're going to find out that God not only expects you to be faithful, but to be fruitful. Not only a faithful follower, but a fruitful follower of his. You see, God has invested in you. He thought you up. He then created you in your mother's womb. He then, through Jesus, has forgiven you. He has saved you. He's put the Holy Spirit in you. He's invested in you. And so now he expects fruit to come from you. During the time that he's given you here on this planet, he wants you to not only faithfully follow him, but be a fruit bearer for him. And all of God's people said, that's what he expects of you and me. So as we begin, let's look at John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and I'm going to read 17 verses, so hang on with me, okay? Hang on with me. Here we go. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Amen? Amen. In those 17 verses, there is more spiritual truth that I could teach you in 17, in 17 weeks. That, that scripture is packed full of powerful things that Jesus wants us to know about. So I want you just to sit back and get comfortable. This is going to be a really long message today. No, not really. (laughs) Not really. But what I want to do today is focus on the fruit that God expects you and me to produce. And I want to focus on how verses like these can be misinterpreted. You see, if you ignore some of the basic rules of interpretation, you're not going to get the real meaning of the text. In fact, you might get it wrong. Every verse in the Bible has one meaning. It might have multiple applications, but it only has one interpretation. And so today, I'm going to show you how to maybe better interpret Scripture than you've ever known how to do before. So that you can get the meaning of the text, the meaning of God's Word. Now, one of the most misinterpreted verses in God's Word is John 15, verse 6. This is what Jesus says. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, a lot of people and a lot of pastors have misinterpreted this verse. They will say something like this. If you don't remain in Jesus, you as a branch will be picked up and thrown into the fire of hell and burnt. They say, here's what this means. If you don't remain in Jesus, and if you don't remain in him, you cannot bear fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And if you don't bear fruit, you are then deemed a useless branch. And as a useless branch, you'll be thrown into the fire of hell, and you will be burned. The fruit of a Christian is that you produce another Christian. And if you don't bear that kind of fruit, you'll be burned in the fires of hell. They say the fruit of an apple tree is an apple. The fruit of a tomato plant is a tomato. Therefore, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And if you don't bear another Christian in this lifetime, you're going to burn in hell. Well, the fruit of another Christian should be another Christian. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That part is true. But they say, if you don't bring people to Christ, God is going to throw you away like a fruitless branch. You're going to lose your salvation And you're going to spend eternity burning in the fire of hell. Do I have your attention yet? (laughs) But that's a misinterpretation of that verse. Write this down. Some basic rules of Bible interpretation include clarify the context. If you want to get to the real meaning, you've got to clarify the who. Who's being spoken to? Why is this being said? Until you clarify the context of who, what, when, where, and why, you can't get the real meaning of the scriptures. 
Now, verse 6 of John 15, I want you to understand, sits right in the middle of a four-chapter conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. One group of people in one room, one conversation over four chapters of God's word. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples on the night just before he was betrayed, arrested, and beaten. This is the last conversation that he had with his disciples before he was crucified. So notice, Jesus is not preaching to the crowd here, but he is speaking to the men that he hand-picked and hand-trained for three and a half years. The men that he trained to carry on the ministry after he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. So if you want to get the real meaning of John 15, 6, you've got to look at the whole context that begins in John chapter 13. You can't pull verse 6 just out of this scripture in John 15 or you'll misinterpret it like many people do. Now, Jesus shared his last conversation with these disciples And as he did that, he took them to a private room. We call it the upper room. And that's where they shared the famous Last Supper. You know the Last Supper picture? All seated around the table. And that's where they had communion like we practice today. And it's in John 13 that we find the beginning of this four-chapter conversation that Jesus is having with his hand-picked disciples. Look at this. The Bible says in John 13, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knows he's going to die. He's going to die on a cross. Having loved his own who were in this world, he's talking about his disciples, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So what he's going to share in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, he's going to show them the full extent of God's love for them and for us. Then the Bible goes on and says the evening meal was being served talking about in the upper room. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And the Bible says, so he got up, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel Wrapped around him. This had to be an incredible moment. I want you to kind of get this picture in your mind. God stooped and washed the dirt off the feet of his human disciples. God, who thought them up, who created them, who created all that exists, puts a towel around his waist and kneels down And washes off the dirt and the grime of the world off of the disciples' feet. That had to be an incredible moment. In that day, nobody wore shoes. They wore sandals. So every time you went out, your feet got dirty. And when you went as a guest to somebody's house for dinner, a servant, a common servant, would come by and wash your feet. It was a custom to wash the feet of every guest that entered your home. So at this moment, God, God, get this wraps a towel around his waist. And like a household servant washes the feet of the disciples, God serves them. The creator serves the created. That's who God is. He's a servant God, amen? 
It's a God who loves us. And then the Bible goes on and says, so he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, no way, Jose. Jesus, you're not going to do that. Jesus said, you don't realize what I'm doing, Peter, but later you'll understand. And Peter says, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. This isn't going to happen. And Jesus answered, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. (laughs) I like Peter. Once he understands that Jesus is saying, Peter, unless you let me wash you completely clean of all your sins, you'll have no part of me. So Peter says, then give me a bath, God. (laughs) Just wash me all over, God. I want everything to do about you. I like that guy. It's all or nothing. And so Jesus Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. Look, for Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. You see, at that moment, in that upper room, Judas is still in the room. The one that's going to betray Jesus is still there. So Jesus says to Judas, whatever you got to do, go do it now. And Judas gets up and leaves. And then later in chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, now you are all clean. Why? Because Judas wasn't there anymore. Left in the room were the 11 true blue guys who stuck with Jesus through thick and thin. And then Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. I am the Lord. I am your teacher. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also you should wash the feet of one another, one another's feet. Jesus said, I have set the example that you should do as I have done. Here, God gives them a beautiful picture regarding serving each other, regardless of position. So God is saying to these men, I'm going to leave the church in your hands. I'm going to lead the spreading of the gospel in your hands. And I know you could get pumped up, but I want you to serve. I, your God, am washing your feet. Serve, do like I have done. There's no job beneath you, men. So God taught them how to serve. And then comes chapter 14. We move out of 13 and we go to 14. And Jesus begins to make some promises. There they are, still in the same room. Same group of guys, minus Judas. Same conversation with Jesus. And in the first 11 verses, he says, guys, don't worry. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. But then I'm going to heaven to make a place for you. But guys, don't worry. Then in verses 12 through 14, he says, but you can talk to me anytime. You can come to me through prayer. I'm going to die. I'm not going to be with you physically. But listen, you can ask me anything you want to ask in my name, and I will do it. So once again, guys, don't worry. And then in verses 15 through 25 in chapter 14, he says, don't worry either about being alone because I am sending to you the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. He'll strengthen you. He'll comfort you. He'll guide you. He'll counsel you. So guys, I'm telling you, don't worry. Boy, we needed to hear this message. Amen. Amen. We're not alone. And God says, don't worry. 
And then in verses 27 through 30, in chapter 14, he says, and I'm also going to give you peace. You're going to have problems in this world, but I'm going to give you a peace that's not like the peace that the world gives. I'm going to give you a perfect peace that's from my hand. And in the midst of your problems, you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. That's the kind of peace that God gives to you when you remain in him. So here in chapter 14, Jesus is still talking to these same men, same room, same conversation. And he's making these promises. I'm going away, but I'm making a place for you to come with me. You can talk with me even though I'm away. You can talk with me through prayer. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. You will not be alone. And I'll give you a peace that passes all kinds of understanding. And then at the end of 14, he says, come now, let's leave this place. So suddenly they begin to leave the upper room. So now Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room. They head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, Jesus sees a vineyard, and he decides to teach him a lesson. And all of that stuff we've just talked about in chapters 13 and 14, that is the context of how chapter 15 begins. It's all about the context of who's involved, where they've been, and what they've experienced together. And so now as Jesus walks them by the vineyard, he says, and he points at the vineyard, and he goes, guys, I'm the vine. My father, he's the vineyard keeper. Every branch that stays connected to me, it's going to bear fruit. But if you get disconnected from me, you will not bear fruit. So guys, even though I'm going away, even though I'm not going to be with you, you've got to stay connected to me through prayer. Stay connected to me. Then Jesus says, I've told you all of these things, all of these things about serving each other, about heaven and the place I'm preparing for you, about talking with me through prayer, the spirit who's going to be with you, the, the peace I'm going to give you. I've told you all of these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. That you can have my joy in this world even though I'm gone. That your joy, even though I'm gone, will be complete joy. Folks, all of that's in one conversation, and that's called clarifying the context. Who's he talking to? Where are they? Why is he saying it? And he said all of those things that they might know that they can be filled with his joy even when after he's gone. That they might know that their joy can be complete even after he's gone. Now listen close. Now that you've heard all of that context, what are the odds that Jesus meant after he spent all of that time trying to encourage his disciples after he leaves, what are the odds that he would say, but if you guys don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you off. You're going to lose your salvation, and you're going to burn in the fire of hell. What are the odds that he would say that? But now that I've told you that you're going to burn in hell, guys, if you don't bear fruit, may your joy be made complete. <laughs> now, what are the odds that Jesus is saying that that's, what he, that's nonsense? It makes no sense in the context. It disproves the idea that Jesus is talking about hell there. So hang with me and we'll figure out why. And you'll see why he's not talking about hell. Some basic rules of the Bible interpretation are you've got to clarify the context. Second, write this down. Then you've got to define some key words. 
If you're going to get the meaning of a Bible verse like John chapter 15, you've got to understand what the words really mean, not just what you think they mean. You see, words have multiple meanings. Does the word grass have multiple meanings? Some mow it, some smoke it. Yeah. The word grass has multiple meanings. Does, does the word trip have multiple meanings? You can either trip and fall or you can take a vacation. Does the word band have multiple meanings? Well, yes, you can have a wedding band or you can play in a band. Does the word batter have multiple meanings? Yes, you can have a, a cake mix and it's called batter or you can have a batter. Words have multiple meanings and so you've got to look at the whole context and define those key words if you're going to get the real meaning. In John chapter 15, the word fruit is used nine times. So we'd better define what fruit means in this context. If Jesus says fruit brings glory to God, then we'd better know what fruit really is. So how do you know what kind of fruit Jesus is talking about right here in John 15? Because the word fruit is used 49 times in the New Testament. The word fruit in the New Testament has 10 different meanings. So you can't assume to know what it means in John 15. In Matthew 3, 8, the word fruit is talking about the fruit of repentance. In Matthew 26, the word fruit is talking about the fruit of the vine or grapes. In Romans 15, the word fruit is talking about receiving this fruit. And they're talking about receiving an offering. In Galatians 5, the word fruit is talking about the nine godly attitudes we're to have. Kindness, peace, gentleness, self-control, all of those kind of things. In Colossians 1.6, the word fruit is talking about new believers. In Hebrews 13, the word fruit is talking about the fruit of our lips, which is giving praise to God. So what is fruit in John 15.6? If Jesus says his disciples are to bear fruit, if it's the, one of the last things he talks about, we as his followers, we need to understand what he's talking about here. So the basic rules of Bible interpretation are clarify the context, define the key words like fruit, and then write this down. Interpret the unclear verses. And when you have an unclear verse, interpret it with clear verses around it. In John 15, there are three clear characteristics of fruit. Jesus says in verse 4, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, the word remain just simply means stay or stay connected. A branch that's disconnected from a tree is not going to bear fruit. It's got to stay connected to bear fruit. And that's all Jesus is saying right there. Stay connected, guys, to me, and I'll stay connected to you. So first, write this down, fruit comes by remaining in Christ. Fruit comes out of your life by staying connected to Jesus, not just coming to church, not just going to a C group, but day by day staying connected in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you're talking and walking with him through prayer. Fruit comes by remaining connected to Christ. Now, that's clear. That's a clear verse, and he says it three times. Remain in me, remain in the vine, remain in me. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me, so stay connected. So the first thing we learn from this clear verse is that fruit comes from us only if we're connected to Jesus. And Jesus then goes on and says in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, sowing yourselves to be my disciples. 
Next, fruit brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. How do I know that? That's what it says. Amen. (laughs) Don't have to do a word study there. Fruit brings glory to God. It's clear. Then next, Jesus says in verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be made complete. Here, Jesus tells us his motive for talking about bearing fruit. His motive is he wants joy to be in us and our joy to be complete. Write this down. Fruit produces complete joy. So here's the question. Are you interested in bearing fruit if the result is complete joy deep down in your soul? Amen? (laughs) I am. If you want deep, real, inner joy in the midst of all of life's trouble, fruit in your life produces that complete joy. So want to know what fruit he's talking about so that you can have that complete joy? Well, to know what it is, you've got to use the next basic rule of interpretation. Look at the obvious meaning. Clarify the context to find the key words like fruit. Interpret unclear verses with clear verses and then look for the obvious meaning. But that's the exact opposite thing that a lot of people want to do. They want to go into God's word and they want to say, I'm looking for the hidden meaning. I'm looking for some deep nugget truth that nobody has ever seen before. I'm looking for the the secret codes of the Bible. But if you do that, you're going to miss the real meaning because the Bible isn't full of secrets. Did you hear me? The Bible isn't full of secrets. There's been books written. There's been movies produced on the code, the numbers of Jesus. But folks, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God, not to conceal him. Amen? The purpose of the Bible is to shine a light on all that God is. To reveal him, not to conceal him. So look for the obvious meaning. Not some secret code, not some hidden message. God's putting it out there for you to see. Like the word fire in verse 6. It's not the word in Greek for hell. But some people read verse 6 and they say branches are going to burn in the fire. And they say that must be the fire of hell. And so that's just what they think. That's what they assume. But in the Greek, it's not the word for hell. It's the word P-U-R, poor, which means fire, just fire. He's not talking about hell there. So you've got to let the word speak for itself. Jesus says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Here's the point. They're walking by a vineyard. He sees a fruitless fruit tree that's lost its purpose. He says, what good is a fruitless fruit tree? Nothing, unless you use it for firewood. And that's what he's talking about. What did they use to cook with in those days? Firewood. No gas, no oil, no electricity, no microwaves. Oh, man, no microwaves? (laughs) Everything was cooked with firewood. That's how dinner came about, firewood. And so if you saw wood laying around, you're not just going to let it lay there. You're going to use it to cook dinner. And so he's simply saying, unless you use firewood, unless you use that useless, fruitless thing for firewood and burn it, it's lost its value. That's all he's saying. He's not talking about somebody going to hell. Jesus says, I said all these things to encourage you, to comfort you, to make you happy before I leave. But if you don't bear fruit, you're going to burn them hell. No, it, it doesn't fit the context. It doesn't fit the word fire. So let the text speak for itself. And when you do that, look for the obvious meaning. 
And when we let this text speak for itself, it's very clear what the meaning is, the meaning of fruit is. You don't need a Bible dictionary. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. In that scripture, he's talking about prayer. He's saying, write this down, remaining in Christ produces the fruit of answered prayers. Guys, I'm going to be gone. But you stay connected to me, the vine. You as a branch, you stay connected to me through prayer. And you'll bear the fruit of answered prayers. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So remaining in Christ, being connected in Christ produces the fruit of answered prayer. And so God, God wants you to come to him and he wants you to ask him for those things that you're, you're needing, that you're struggling with. And since we're talking to God, stop just bringing the tiny things. Amen. Bring the, bring the big things you're struggling with. And as you come to the prayer vigil this Friday night or Saturday morning, sign up for an hour and, and, and just come in and spend a time personally, quietly, just praying. And bring the big things to God that you need to be set free from, delivered from, help with, wisdom for. Bring the big things to God because you're praying to God. And Jesus says, if you ask these things in my name, I will do it. Amen. Amen. We're praying to God. Remaining in Christ produces the fruit of answered prayer. And then next, answered prayers brings the fruit of glory to God. He gets the glory. So Jesus says, whenever I answer your prayers, my Father gets the glory. When Jesus answers your prayers, it shows God's power being active here in this life. And people see God answer people, your your prayers. And so God gets the glory, but it also shows you God's love for you. Jesus then says to this same group of guys, until now, guys, you haven't asked me for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. The next thing, write this down. Answered prayers gives the fruit of complete joy. Man, when you have had God answer a prayer and you know that you know that you know that only God could bring that about, what's that do in here? <laughs> the fruit of joy. Complete joy. Your God heard you. Your God answered you. Your God met your need. And you've got complete joy. There's over 20 times in the New Testament we're commanded to ask. One man said years ago, God never shuts the doors of his storehouse until you shut your mouth. Folks, keep praying. Keep asking. Keep knocking on God's doors. Come to the prayer vigil. For an hour, one hour, get one hour out of your schedule and you come and you sign up and you just come to this room and you go from station to station and you pray for the community of faith here. You pray for your personal needs. You pray for other people's needs. You pray for our missions work. It's just quiet. You don't pray out loud. You just come and you just knock on God's doors and you open your mouth and you ask and other people be asking for your needs to be met. And let's see what God does. Amen. Let's see what God does. And then his last words to the disciples, Jesus says, guys, I'm not going to be with you anymore, but you can talk to me anytime. You can ask me for anything. So here's the bottom line. Try to get your head wrapped around this. Fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. 
Fruit brings glory to God. Fruit brings you complete joy. And answered prayers come from remaining in Christ. Answered prayer brings glory to God. Answered prayer gives you complete joy. And then Jesus ends his talk with this. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then look at this. What's the first thing he talks about after he talks about fruit? It's prayer. Then you, you stay connected to me. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So when you follow the basic rules of Bible interpretation and you clarify the context and you define the key words like fruit, you interpret the hard verses with clear verses and then you look for the obvious meaning. In all of this this morning, you come to this interpretation. I bear fruit by asking Jesus for things in prayer. That's how you bear fruit. He's saying you can do nothing apart from me. Amen. That's how you bear fruit. You go to the Father, you ask things in the name of Jesus, and you begin to bear fruit. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about prayer. He's not talking about losing your salvation because you didn't win somebody to Christ. He's talking about the fruit that comes from your life through prayer. Prayer is the root of fruit. But you know what the problem is? We kind of treat prayer like a spare tire. I'm about to close here, so hang on. We treat prayer like a spare tire. A spare tire is there when we have a flat. So when you have a flat in your life, when your life goes flat, what do you do? You say, well, I better pull out prayer. And we say something like this. Prayer, well, it's, it's, I guess that's the only thing I can do now. It's the best thing I can do now is, is pray. All we can do, last resort. But God doesn't want you to use prayer to be your spare tire. He wants prayer to be your steering wheel. It's, it's where you get the fruit in your life. I'm saying to you, much prayer, much fruit. No prayer, no fruit. If you're not praying, you're not going to have fruit in your life. Fruit comes through prayer, through asking. So our problem is this. We have trouble with prayer when we're not in trouble. When everything's going great, we stop asking. We stop praying as much. But Jesus is saying in John 15, the way you bear fruit is by praying. And the more you pray, the more fruit you're going to have in your life. And so I want to close with this scripture in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. If you practice what we've learned today about prayer, if you begin to build your house on Jesus, the rock, and you pray and pray when the storms of life come, your life is going to stand. But if you don't practice what you've heard today, if you just come to worship and you fill in the blanks and you go home and you forget it, the Bible says you're like a foolish man. You've heard the word, but you've walked away and you don't do anything about it. The Bible says a foolish man hears the word, but he doesn't do anything about it. And that's a problem with a lot of people in America today. They go to church. They go to small groups. They hear, they hear, they hear, but they have no intention of doing anything they hear. And Jesus says that's foolish. Your house, your spiritual life is not going to stand. He says pray. And then the fruit will come. And then my joy will be in you. And your joy will be complete. Folks, decide to pray more. And more fruit will come into your life. And the result is real inner joy for you. 
and real glory to God. Amen. You want the joy? You got to pray. And so we got to leave this place today. We've got to, we've got to make a decision before tonight comes, before tomorrow comes. Are you going to pray more before you go to bed tonight? Are you going to pray more when you wake up in the morning before you roll out of bed? Shirley's got a big sign that she put in our window, a little high window in our bedroom, and it just simply says prayer. So you look up to the morning sky and it says pray. It's, it's a great reminder to start your day just praying. Are you going to do that? Make a decision to pray more tonight and tomorrow. Come to the prayer vigil. Pray more. And God will bring joy into your life. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. As I pray this, would you make this commitment in your heart? We're getting near the end of this series, and would you make this commitment? Would you simply say, Father, today I want to get into your word. I want to get the real meaning from your word. I commit to talk with you through prayer, so fruit will come from my life, so my joy will be complete, and so that the Father will be glorified. Father, As we leave this place, help us to leave with a plan, a resolve to do something more in prayer. Lord, our life gets so busy and so full of distractions, so many things to do. But Lord, give us the strength and the power to seek you first. Because then comes the fruit. Then comes the joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.